Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. What's up, everybody? It's Kate here. And don't worry, Jessica also approved this message. I figured if you're here listening to Off the Looking Glass, you're probably at least somewhat of a fan of women's sports. And if you're somewhat of a fan of women's sports, then my new book, Hoop Muses, is probably something that would look really good on your coffee table. It's an insider's guide to pop culture in the women's game. And we start with this comic book art in the future, the 75th anniversary of the WNBA, and then we go back in time and tell you all these cool stories, most of which you'll never have heard about the history of women's basketball. But we do more. We even go to the metaverse, something you're probably familiar with if you listen to Off the Looking Glass. And we do things like reimagine movie posters, like let's say Space Jam 2 with Asia Wilson, or we redo the graphics for NBA Jam, that iconic 90s video game. It's a fun, vibrant way to learn about women's history. And I promise you, it will look really good on your coffee table. You can get it wherever you get your books. Welcome to Off the Looking Glass. I'm Kate Fagan. I'm Jessica Smetana. Jess, it is officially March Madness. Woohoo! Yes! Okay, here's a question for you off the top before we tell people the excellent show we have today is how much time do you spend doing your brackets? None. I just scribble my way through it. I know I'm going to lose no matter what. I also, whatever the fastest amount of time you can do a bracket in, I don't think you can do it in like under three minutes, right? Because you still have to make choices. Yeah, right. You got to click a bunch of times if you're doing it online. Yeah. Yeah. The reason I do it so fast is because I see no correlation whatsoever between time spent on my bracket and performance of my bracket. Same. I've never won any bracket challenge. Like, I don't even know why I still enter into them. I know all of my choices will lose, so there's really just no point in putting any time into it. And the amount of time also I spend watching women's college basketball throughout the season, I know has no correlation on how well I will do in any bracket challenge either. So yeah, so essentially we're geniuses who are very efficient with our time. Brackets are just stupid. They're too hard. I mean, I do love filling one out, but it's I know it's a loser. I like having one. I don't like filling it out, but I there like you it go. when it's I done. I agree. I like it when it's done. That's exactly right. All right. Speaking of efficiency, we will just jump right into telling people what is on this excellent show today because we have Stanford star Cameron Brink joining us today for an interview. Ooh. 
yes. We also have a new segment called Op-Ed, so stay tuned to hear what that's all about. McDonald's All-American, the Oregon Player of the Year in high school. She's now an NCAA champion and the 2022 Pac-12 Co-Player of the Year. All right, let's do it. Let's bring her on. Cameron Brink. What do you do on an off day besides this off the looking glass interview? This morning I slept into like 10. Woo-hoo. I know, right? Then I showered. Hygiene, right? That's a thing. And then um, I just have a couple more meetings today, and then I'm celebrating a friend's birthday. So it's just, like, nice to be, like, a normal person, you know? Normalcy. When I was playing college basketball, I always longed to go to the grocery store and cook dinner at home. <laughs> yes. Somehow that always felt like a thing I wanted to do. I don't know if you relate to that. Yeah. No, I love Trader Joe's. is like, right by Stanford, so I love to go to Trader Joe's. I don't have a kitchen, which sucks, but I go to my boyfriend's house and then we'll make something occasionally. So is Stanford going to win the NCAA title this year? I hope so. I really hope so. We definitely have all the pieces for it. I think we could be even better than we were last year, which is crazy. So, And what about the year before that? That was a pretty good year. That was a pretty good year too. But I really do think this could be a really, really special team. It's just... Because we're so deep. I think our freshmen are really special. We have Talana Lapolo. She's just like a stud, true point guard. India Navarre, an amazing you know, wing three shooting guard. And then we have Lauren Betts. She's six, seven center. Like, how can you guard that, you know? So, Cameron, do you remember the first time you played basketball? I, ironically, like hated sports until like the age 12. I actually lived in the Netherlands for three years aged eight through 12 and I played for like our school team there and the the rims were like eight feet tall they lowered the rims for girls there was no backward defense it was super weird and then it was like a total shock coming back to the states and that's like when I really first started playing but I was terrible I was really bad okay we're gonna put a pin on that because there's a lot of follow-up questions there right Jess (laughs) so many follow-up questions but you know sometimes they get confused about this but so my my dad played pro ball in Amsterdam and And my mom, they were only there one year, but, you know, they were 23, so it really stands out in their memory. And my mom will, like, still raves about, like, the French fries there and or, like, specific cookies. What are your childhood memories from that time period? Oh, my God. I love living there. I was super thankful for it because a lot of people from the States don't ever travel out. States. I feel like I got a lot of, like, worldly experience at a young age, which was super special, but... The Dutch aren't known for their food, but I love the food. I love like French fries, like you said, or they had like stuff for Santa Claus, which was like a weird holiday, like paper nocha, which was like a little like gingerbread cookie or like olibolin, which is like a delicious donut. I don't know. I loved living over there. It was really cool. Okay. So Cameron, take us back to the pin there. What was it about leading up to age 12 where you were not that into sports? I was surrounded by it. I mean, it's by the sounds of it, you were too. Like, I wanted to be different, which is like super cool of me, I guess. I was like, I don't like basketball. I don't like sports. I was super into being girly and like, I was huge into art, which I was athletic trash at. 
my parents were like, you're so good. Like back, I'm like, you guys were totally lying to my face. But uh, my parents both played at Virginia Tech. That's his jersey right there. My mom played too. That's where they met. I should show you a funny picture of my mom actually right now. She's the one with her, the high level perm. <laughs> on the yes. Do you see that? Nice. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I can see that perm Classic. a mile away. My mom's 6'3", my dad's 6'8". Like, you know, everywhere we go, we get asked if we play basketball. I was just like, I was just kind of over it. I was like, I don't want to be, you know, I want to have like my own thing. Then we moved to Amsterdam. I played a little bit. It was super weird. Sports there were just different. And then you move back to the States and everyone like is taking it super seriously. And I was like way behind the curve. Most kids start when they're like four nowadays, you know, they're like, I start dribbling out the womb. I'm like, no, I started like way late compared to most girls. My parents were nervous too. Cause they were like, should she keep playing? Like, is she going to be any good? And then I guess I just made progress really fast. And I, you know, it helped being taller than everybody and, you know, had to put my height to good use. Right. But kind of just bloomed from there. You know how now there's just so much burnout. Athletes get to college and they've been playing just day in and day out. Mm -hmm. Have you reached a point now where you feel like it was almost an advantage that you didn't log 10,000 hours from age 8 to 12 and that you started a little bit later? Yeah, yeah, 100%. I actually thought about that a lot. But also that I think what can be like really hard on kids is their parents and their parents like forcing it on them and you know, it's like more like their parents' dream than their own. I feel like that happens a lot. And I was super thankful for my parents being like, do whatever makes you happy. And like, I'm sure it was hard for them because they both had like really successful careers and they know like they had a dog that was like six, four and like, they're like, put your height to get used. But they were just always super supportive and like, let me have my own journey with it. And then like on the flip side though, like when I told them I wanted to take it more seriously, they were super helpful with like pushing me in like days where I was like, I don't want to shoot. Like, I don't want to work out. Like, this is boring. At what point did you decide that that was like playing D1 basketball was what you wanted? Because it seems like when you're young, it's such a condensed time frame, right? Where like you have to decide by a certain age that you want to do something to be able to have enough time to take it seriously and then achieve that. So how did you decide on all of that? And like what motivated you to do it? I watched women's basketball like a bit, but never was like super immersed in it at a young age. But then I went to a youth camp at Stanford. Like I was probably like 13 years old at the time. At the end of that camp, I got my first scholarship offer at the age of 13. And I think at that point, I didn't even really know if I could play, you know, in college. But then like when they offered me, I was like, okay, like I should start to make this a priority and start pouring into this. And did the fact that they were your first offer actually impact your decision or were there mostly other, was there like some loyalty there when you went and made that pick? Yeah, I definitely, I mean, Stanford was always like a dream school of mine. My, it's been like a goal of mine to be smarter than my brother. <laughs> His nickname's Google. Like he knows absolutely everything. <laughs> and I always kind of wanted to have that competition and be like, I'm just as smart as my brother. Like I can be smart. So even before I like was interested in basketball, I was like, I could go to Stanford if I really wanted to. So I have a connection with the Currys. My mom was roommates with Sonia Curry, and she's my godmother now. So Stefan lives 10 minutes away from Stanford. So it also like felt like a, it could be a good decision. Like, I have family so close. So it was like a whole, like the perfect combination of everything I kind of wanted. Hard right turn. Is Tara Vanderveer scary? Come on, I'm an old lady. Oh, and I lifted today. No, she kind of can come off that way. She's actually just like a really like sweet woman. She really cares about her players. My trainer, 
back home was one of her players. Her name is Susan King Borchard. And she was like a really great point guard for Tara. Tara is like, I swear Tara talks about her all the time is like obsessed with Susan. And Susan would tell me stories about how hard she was on her. And like, she just expects a lot of her players. So I was going in kind of like shitting myself, honestly, but she's really, she's really sweet. She just, she has a, a way of like captivating people. Like she's just like a sweet old lady. honestly. <laughs> she can be mean though. I feel like any coach has to be. Tara is like, is, is Tara Vanderveer Tara, Tara. scary? She's really sweet. Like, yes, they're all sweet, sweet woman. Tara Vanderveer. She can be mean though. Whew. Jess, not only are we in a rabbit hole, but we're going to go down memory lane. Because Cameron, up high on the surface, you know, she plays for Tara Vanderveer. Notoriously seemingly i haven't played for her a very strict coach Mm -hmm. so the question on the table is what is the most difficult coach player interaction you've ever had Mm. the reason i brought you down here is because i have one oh well why don't you tell me yours first and then i'll i'll think of one to tell you this is actually a story i have never told publicly before not that there's a lot of things i haven't said publicly jess but (laughs) And I don't know after I tell you this story if I'm going to want to keep it in the show. But (laughs) I'm going to say it anyway. Tell me. When I was playing professionally in Ireland, I also had to go coach what their equivalent of elementary school is. I had to teach basketball twice a week for Uh an hour to kids. I don't like coaching kids. I'm not good at it. And I was so lonely in Ireland. I was miserable over there Aww. because the Wi-Fi cafes had just started. There was no, you didn't have Wi-Fi in your home. Jeez. And so I just was really missing my There's family. No and Netflix. I didn't know yeah. there was no Netflix, none, none. <sighs> and my mom was visiting and my, I had to go teach these kids and my coach drove me to go teach them. And my mom was with me and I didn't know this, but I guess my coach thought it was immature of me to bring my mom to this particular task. And he had a cell phone and I had a cell phone, even though I couldn't call internationally on it. And as I was walking in to coach these kids, I get a text message from him that says, psycho brought her mom. (gasps) So he had inadvertently meant to text, I think his wife. And he texted me. You're kidding. And he called me a psycho. Kate. Now, yeah, it was really, okay. really upsetting. First of all, we're leaving this in the show. Second I don't know. All, Let's just listen no. back and we'll this see. Is, oh, my. What did you do? I left Ireland. I, oh, my I, God. I, like, ser- I was like, I'm done here. I I was like, Mom, I mean, come on, Mom. Like, Mom, am I really going to keep, keep no. playing? Can you keep playing for a coach after they call you inadvertently on text message a psycho? That is awful. Like, I'm stunned when you said you had a story. I was not expecting this. Holy shit. Yeah, yeah I would have quit on site. That's absolute. Or maybe gotten in a fist fight. I'm not sure which one. Should we go back up now? Yeah, n- nothing <laughs> I say is going to top that. 
You mentioned that she talks about a point guard who I'm assuming was from like the early 2000s or the 90s or something. Does she talk about the history of Stanford a lot? Like if I named names of players from like the 90s, like Kate Starbird or Jamila Wideman. Yeah. Like how much does she talk about these past Stanford teams? She talks a lot about them. And honestly, there's a whole like a huge culture of that because Katie Stedding and Kate Pay are two coaches on our staff and and they both won national championships under Tara. So I think it's really important. For example, every year if we make it to the final four, we have an ice cream social and that's when players will come back. We get to meet alumni, which is really cool. I've, you know, NECA, like I'm obsessed with NECA and Shanae, like they've been, NECA came back for the homecoming game and she just sat down and talked with all the post players after the, after practice one day. But, you know, Tara makes it a point to really involve them, which I think is really great. And she tells us like about their success, what's worked for them, like what they're doing now, which is really cool to hear about. But yeah, I think it's really cool to hear about. I love our alumni. They're the best. So there was a a New York Times story that Tara was actually quoted in about female athletes and NIL. The whole article was about like female athletes sexualizing themselves to like advertise themselves. I'm wondering if you have any thoughts about like that just generally as a premise or your experience dealing with like marketing agencies or NIL offers? Yeah, actually, this is super interesting. Tara came and spoke in front of one of my classes the other day, so my teammate Hannah Jump and I are in this um, business school class at Stanford and it's a, a really great class and Tara is a speaker there every year and she came in and one of our classmates asked her about the article and she said you can talk to a reporter for 45 minutes and like what you say like less than a second is like the main thing like that's focused on so I do think what she said was taken a bit out of context there is some truth to that I talked with her actually after class about it. And she was just like, I hope you know, like, I support any way you're doing NIL. Like, however you choose to promote yourself is your choice. And I, I never judge people for that. And I do get her point, though, that sex does sell. And that's a difficult truth. You know, I recognize that, like, I'm blonde, I have blue eyes, I post the occasional bikini photo, and I do realize that those get more attention than other photos sometimes. You know, that's one aspect. But I feel like, being, you know, wearing sweatpants and a hoodie is also sexualized as well. The thing we always say is like, is it our responsibility that men might bring their sex feelings to everything that is done? Correct. You know, like, right. Like that's how is that the responsibility of a female athlete? I'm wondering, Cameron, because your mom and your dad both played Division One basketball, Mm -hmm. but they did it at a time when they didn't have to stress about anything like an NIL both the benefit of and the stress of, I assume that it comes along with both. Yeah. If you talk about this change in the NCAA landscape and what it means to be a college athlete, do they have advice for you or do they mostly just say, I can't believe all you have to deal with now in 2022? Yeah, I've actually had a lot of conversations with my parents, Amy Tucker and Tara, and you know, they, they're really supportive. They know that it's it's kind of like the wild, wild west right now. Like the rules are changing quickly and there's a lot there's a lot of gray area and you don't really know like you always have to talk to compliance like is this okay is this not okay like it is stressful and I think what I've learned the most through it is that having the right people in your corner is probably the most important thing like what I've been struggling with a lot is like I hate that I feel like I need to put up a certain stat line to be like successful I I'm like the media definitely like makes players feel like they need to have a certain amount of specific output to be, you know, successful or, you know, to be on a certain 
watch list and like that can be really stressful even more than NIL but I feel like this year I'm really just trying to play within myself and like the ultimate goal is that we win right so I've had a lot of conversations about that recently like so you would say that like it puts more pressure on athletes to have to think about now like if I perform better, maybe I can make more money. So it's like the added thing that maybe an athlete like 15 years ago wouldn't have to think about until mm-hmm. after they graduate. Is that is that right? Yeah, and I think it really makes, it kind of in a sense makes us professional athletes. You perform better, you get more endorsements, which is not my biggest priority. But when in reality, like coming into college, I had no idea. When I came into college, I was like just trying my best to start that's like what I was worried about. I was like, am I even going to get playing time? We have some like kind of fun, lighter questions, but I did want to talk to you because it's a topic that I think about a lot is what it has been like at Stanford since Katie died and whether the, for you specifically, you know, the topic of mental health, is it something even before her death that you were thinking about the ways it affected you and y'all were talking about it? Is it, has it been more top of mind for you since her death? Like what has, what has that been like for you? Yeah, it's going to be hard to gather my thoughts um, around this because it, it still feels super recent. I mean, it is, and it's, it's really raw for, for everybody. I mean, my roommates, the soccer player was super close with her, obviously. And so it's just, she, she impacted so many people on campus and, you know, she was just such a role model for so many young girls, you know, so many people. And, I remember like the last time I saw her was at one of our games and she brought the whole team was in the student section. They were all wearing pink and she was just like cheering like crazy. So it's just hard. It's just really heartbreaking. Um, And so I remember when we all found out about it as a team, we were all just all in the locker room and we were just looking like we were just sitting in a circle, just like looking at it, like in disbelief, like absolute disbelief. Like she was just at our game, like in the front row, just cheering, you know, so yeah, it's really hard. It's hard to talk about. Our team, we just, you know, we just sat there. We told each other we loved each other, care for each other through everything that we need to do a better job of checking in with, not just our team, but everyone on campus, other student athletes, um, and just really prioritize being vulnerable. I think that's super important. I think it's hard to be vulnerable with other people, but just really just making the space to to talk about struggles, you know, what we're struggling with, what our worries are. I don't know. It was, it was a whirlwind. It was, it's really hard to, to think about. If anything, I hope it's just bringing more awareness to, you know, the struggles of being a, a college athlete and, and a, a female, college. like, it's just, it's really hard. It, it, there's a lot to worry about nowadays. And I mean, there always has been, but now I feel like there's, like we talked about earlier, there's just so many more variables and, you know, school, NIL, social media, performance, all that stuff. Well, thank you. Okay, so fun stuff. What was your favorite sports movie growing up? I feel like everyone says this, but definitely Love and Basketball. That was such a, just a good one. A classic. Yep. Were there any others? I did not give a shit about sports growing up. What I cared about was like Barbies. I want to take a poll of like all division one women's college basketballs, the percentage that were really into Barbies as a kid. I'm not sure. What do we think? Maybe 10%? Yeah. Less? I have no idea. Like, we haven't talked a lot about Barbie on this show. Since the first little girl ever existed, 
There have been dolls. Or will you be watching the no. Margot Robbie, uh, Ryan Gosling Barbie film that's coming out next year? Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I think Kate McKinnon's in it, so I will also be interested <laughs> in Barbie. Yeah. Did you watch Sandlot? No. <laughs> we usually get Sandlot from like younger athletes, so that's surprising. Wait, why do we, I not even are... know what that is? I don't even know what that is. Hey, you want a s'more? S'more what? No, no, you want a s'more. I haven't had anything yet, so how can I have some more of nothing? Shut up! You're killing me, Smalls. That's hilarious. Yeah, see, oh guys, my god, Kate is gonna cry. My no, childhood, it's funny. My childhood was like begging my mom to let me wear a skirt every day to school. That's like what I was. <laughs> I did not care about. I was so girly. I mean, I still am. I'm very like I'm very. I like tonight. Like what I'm looking forward to today is like being able to do my makeup and my hair and like look presentable. Like that's what I look forward to. So. <laughs> I love it. You got zig when everyone else is zagging yep. in the college basketball world. If we were getting you a nickname that was a one that was quote unquote smarter than your brother's, mm-hmm. right? If he's Google, what could we nickname you that would be better than Google? Like <laughs> encyclopedia? Um, Almanac. What could we shorten that to? Almanac. Yeah, then we could just call you Mac. Mac. Oh, Cam backwards. Something like yeah. that. Okay, so it's Mac. Yeah. That it's this is on off the looking glass. From now on, you will be Mac to us. Cam back. And I love Mac. I like Big Macs. I'm a big McDonald's. But it works. <laughs> Ooh, right? I like I think Big Mac is a good nickname. Big Mac. Yeah. All right. I think that'll do it. Thanks, Mac. Yeah. Big Mac. <laughs> what a fun interview. <laughs> oh, thanks. thanks. <laughs> Bye. After the news at the top of the hour, we will take a look at the collapse. Police there tell us the old super duper store, now a building under construction. The neighbors on this side street knew that something funny had been going on here. First, for example, all the cases of dog food being delivered. And now, another social commentary. Kate, we have a new segment alert. Yeah. We're recording the first iteration of it right now. The segment's called Op Ed, where we're going to break down various articles, pieces of of information written about women's sports. And this is the first one, and we're gonna do it on the story that was published in November in the New York Times by Kurt Streeter. And it was headlined, new endorsements for college athletes resurface an old concern, sex sells. And then the subhead says, female college athletes are making millions thanks to their large social media followings, but some who have fought for equity in women's sports worry that their brand building is regressive. And Kate, as soon as this article was published, we sent it to each other. So we have a lot of thoughts. Yes. Yes. Okay. So the article is trying to introduce a topic that I think is really relevant and interesting. And it is about how money is now flowing to younger athletes and it is reinforcing old stereotypes about who should get money in women's sports. Like, And this is going back to like the Maria Sharapova days in tennis when her endorsements were higher than many would say her skills on the court warranted. And now because of NIL, when you see which college athletes, because it says college athletes are now, and it's like very few of these female college athletes are now getting big paydays. So 
This is all stuff that I think warrants a lot of inspection. But the issue I have with the article, even though I agree with what I think the general premise is, which is talking about how this might possibly negatively impact women's sports, is actually in the subhead when it says, but some who have fought for equity in women's sports worry that their brand building is regressive. And it's putting the burden of the brand building and the problem of it on these female athletes. That part I don't agree with. So if the framework had been flipped and it's been like the structure of the way female athletes are now being compensated is regressive and what's being reinforced is regressive, I would be more likely to agree with the overall premise. But please jump in. Tell me where you're at with this. I totally agree with you on the framing of it because there's an interesting part of the article towards the end where the author writes that race can't be ignored as part of the dynamic. A majority of the most successful female moneymakers are white. Sexual orientation can't be ignored either. Few of the top earners openly identify as gay and many post suggestive images of themselves that seem to cater to the male gaze. That part, I think we could probably argue over. But then there is a quote from Haley Jones, who plays for Stanford, saying, you can go outside wearing sweatpants and a puffer jacket and you'll be sexualized. I could be on a podcast and it could just be my voice and I'll face the same thing. So I think it will be there no matter what you do or how you present yourself. So there's some ideas being introduced in this article that I think are totally reinforced by what we see. We talk about this all the time, how certain people are marketed in the WNBA that might not be the best athletes, but corporations and brands have decided are quote unquote marketable and deserve commercial campaigns and tons of attention and endorsements, whereas other stars of the league don't get the same opportunities. That is, again, like you said, not really what the article focuses on, though. The article singles out Olivia Dunn, who's a gymnast at LSU, and includes photos of her, pictures from her Instagram account, and it seems like blames her for this, which I completely disagree with. Yeah, I mean, she's definitely held up. Every quote and everything seems to be reacting to the way Olivia Dunn has marketed herself and sold herself. And I'm not really here for that. Any female athlete who is responding to what the market wants, I'm like, you got to do what you have to do. Right. NIL is a marketplace that is rewarding athletes who are also really adept at being influencers. And influencers who are really popular often have a presence on social media that is conventionally Mm -hmm. beautiful. I mean, even if you look at, and this isn't about Olivia Dunn, this is about what the NIL market is actually responding to. In that New York Times article, it's talking about Dunn and it's talking about her Instagram and TikTok followings, platforms on which she intersperses sponsored content, modeling American Eagle Outfitters jeans, and Viore activewear alongside videos of her lip syncing popular songs or performing trending dances. That doesn't sound like somebody who is being paid because they are a fantastic gymnast. That sounds like somebody who is an influencer who happens to be a gymnast. And that's not an Olivia Dunn problem. Right. Well, I will say that like choosing Olivia Dunn as the example here is really strange to me because I think she is an outlier just in terms of how many followers she has. Like she is extremely popular on TikTok and Instagram and she's made a ton of money. She's not the average athlete earning money from NIL. And she's also a gymnast. She's doing like gymnastics moves or she's wearing like her gymnastics uniform. And gymnastics is such an interesting thing to pick on because your body and how you move it is the sport. 
it's not quite the same as basketball or any other team sport. That's not going to be really incorporated in a TikTok dance the way that gymnastics moves <laughs> might be. So I think it's weird to pick on her in this. And I know that she was not really happy with the way this article is framed. She reposted stuff on her Instagram story about it. I don't think that there's any onus that you need to put on the athlete for like not doing NIL the right way or not not upholding the integrity of women's sports or any of those things. Like that's not on a 20, 21 year old woman to decide or to figure out. When I was at ESPN, I did an article on the idea of sex selling. And one really smart academic was just basically saying that in women's sports, you have to check every single box. You have to be conventionally beautiful, you have to be very good at your sport, you have to be incredibly likable, and you probably have to be incredibly smart and savvy in how you package all of that. And in men's sports, you have to have one of those things. Yeah. Just one. Right. If you check one of those boxes, your NIL will be through the roof. But the article was trying to say, we're getting away from that now. And when I look around the NIL landscape, I'm like, that model that had historically been in place and we were kind of breaking out of is now right back in place. Right. And well, like that, so, that's the thing. It's like, why can't we take female athletes seriously? That's Even the if they are posting videos dancing, why can't we still take them seriously when they're performing in their sports? Like I think about myself and my own social media usage often because I know if I post a picture where I'm showing my belly button or if I'm in a bikini or something, I know I get more engagement and more likes because quote unquote sex sells. Even though I would argue those things necess don't necessarily equate to sex, I would argue that showing your skin doesn't mean like sex. <laughs> this is my body. This is just like what I'm wearing at the beach. Yeah. There's a little bit of a, an argument there I think you could make about the kind of content Olivia Dunn posts and whether or not that's even sex sells or what a woman her age posts on Instagram and what you see on a lot of women Instagrams her age. I'm irritated about the framing of all of this. And I think there's so many more interesting things you could say about NIL and mental health and athletes now having to think about all these things. Because yes, there's more earning potential, but there are so many downsides and so many negative consequences we haven't even seen yet. One of them being like, you might get written about in the New York Times in a way that you absolutely yeah. hate. <laughs> Thank you. Good night and see you tomorrow. Kate, I want to go back to your story that you said in the rabbit hole. So what was your reaction when he sent you the text message? Like, did you respond and say, hey, psycho here, uh, you sent that to the wrong person, my man. When he came back to pick me up, I walked up to him and I showed him that the text message had been sent to me. And I was like, and I'm leaving Ireland. He proceeded to tell me Jess and he recruited my teammates in Ireland. And they tried to tell me that psycho had a different meaning in Ireland. What? Yeah. What was the other meaning? Do you remember? It was like, it was softened. It was like somebody who's just a little wacky. You know, like it was nicer in Ireland. Like I'm not maybe... buying that. I This is really, like, this is the most shocking story you've ever told me. Yes. No, I mean, the movie Psycho exists for a reason. And right. it, it, across culture, yeah. Psycho means only one thing. Right. That's amazing. He was like, no, actually, you're wrong, hon. Uh, Psycho's a compliment here. Psycho means you're great and we love and respect you and cherish your time with our team. Yeah, I'm not buying that. Who should we thank for making the show today? We should thank 
you, Jessica Smetana, for co-hosting and producing the show. Anya Alvarez for helping us make this show. Carl Scott for executive producing this show. We should thank Cameron Brink for coming on and telling us about all her time playing basketball at Stanford. And Joel Shupak for sound designing. And Nameless Numberhead for all of their help with the ads that you hear throughout the episodes. That's the end of this. Psycho signing off. <laughs> Bye, crazy. Bye, wacky lady. <laughs> That's worse. Like, why would he just make it worse? <laughs> <laughs>